will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Johnny, who, uh, of course, this is also our third time trying to record this episode (laughs) because I'm still a newbie to OBS and uh, found out that I was doing stuff wrong the past two times. But Johnny is a good friend of mine. Um, We went to grade school together and then we uh, reconnected years later. Uh, through work and uh, and is also a person I know is really big into Dune. Uh, he's probably the like Dune master of lore. <laughs> um, and then also we're joined by Leslie, who is also like the second tier in uh, Dune knowledge <laughs> that I of people I know. Uh, and so we're all here to talk about Dune this week. Um, and I think it's actually really good that we had those issues because. There's been news that's come out about uh, the sequel and stuff like that. So uh, we weren't really sure when we were recording this whether or not stuff would be going forward. So it's really nice to be able to talk about that stuff um, today. So uh, also just uh, an FYI, if you didn't catch it out, because this will be coming out after it happens, uh, we did our first gaming live stream um, last Saturday. And uh, I'm sure because I haven't done it yet as of recording i'm sure it went fine and uh everyone got to enjoy it but if you didn't get to catch it out you will be able to look at it on our channel it should be uh under our live tab or under our videos tab so be sure to go check that out um and i don't think that there's any other stuff to kind of get out of the way um so let's just go ahead and dive into it so we're going to structure this review a little bit differently than when we tried to do this uh last week Um, We're going to go ahead and we're going to kind of talk about the home versus the theater experience, because as we all know, and the greater public knows, uh, this was um, 
released uh, simultaneously on HBO Max and on uh, in theaters. Um, so Leslie and I both got to watch it from home, and Johnny, being the huge Dune diehard fan, went and saw it in the theaters. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about the casting and the characters a little bit. Uh, there's some stuff that I think we we want to talk about, and uh, just in general, how we felt about how Dennis did with this film and, and the casting choices that they made, and some of the differing choices that they made from the book. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the visuals and kind of uh, the uh, you know, more technical aspects of the film. And then we're going to talk about the story itself and uh, finish off kind of with our overall thoughts, a comparison on um, how this lives up to the Lynch film and the miniseries from sci-fi. Uh, and then, yeah, that's pretty much going to be it. I don't think because even when we did our uh, we tried to do this before, we didn't really get into spoilers because there's not really a whole lot to spoil in this film. But uh, I think even though now we're two weeks since it's released or a week since it's released, uh, we might be okay if we kind of venture into that. So just a little forewarning, if you haven't spent the time, we might get into spoilers. Uh, we might not. So uh, with that um, out of the way, let's go ahead and, and start. So Johnny, tell us about the theater experience. Uh I always love going to the theaters. Like since the pandemic started, I miss going to theaters because for me, it, it is a full experience. Like you get great quality surround sound, you get great picture quality, you get the perfect lighting. Uh, grand, yes, you get some people who are checking their phone or calling or whatever because there's always asshats like that. <laughs> but um, since, since the pandemic, there are very few there are fewer people that are going to theaters and doing that. So it, it's still an enjoyable experience for me. And I wanted to go because, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, he actually made this film with going to the theater in mind. And he's been very outspoken about streaming it from home. And since our initial attempts at recording, <laughs> uh, I've actually watched it again through streaming and it wasn't as grand of an experience. Uh, uh, like, if, if you're uh, not intimidated about going out to the theaters to watch it, because, you know, Outbreak was a movie, too, and I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, then uh, go and see it. Uh, but if you're still kind of weary about other people and the pandemic and all that, you, you'll still enjoy it streaming. It just will not be the same experience. Would you say, um, you know, just because I know the size of my TV, it's 65 inch. It's not anything, you know, grand or anything like that, but it is a pretty nice size TV. Uh, do you think that it's the the screen difference? Because you saw it at IMAX, so obviously that's about the biggest screen possible. You can see a motion picture right. film. Uh, do you think that a translation between those two, the, the screen sizes, uh, that it really is that much of a difference? Or do you think it's just maybe uh just a bit of is there a decline in quality i guess is the is the question i'm asking like because you watched it from home uh a second time uh did you notice in any of the quality or of the picture uh that that it was less than when you saw it in theaters uh a smidge uh it was more like um uh what somebody referred to as uh landscape porn okay where he he looks at a lot of these grand uh uh, vistas and wide shots and uh there's a hint of the sublime in it 
Uh, so you don't get that with a smaller screen, I feel. It, it's kind of like how Avatar was translated from the screen, the theaters to home. It's like you still remember, you know, how great that movie was when you saw it in theaters, but then you watch it, you know, on a smaller screen, you're like, Oh, this is just blue t- uh, fern gully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not wrong there. Uh, yeah, I I can see that um, aspect a little bit because uh, you know uh, to get into a little bit of an experience that I had recently was uh, going to see the new James Bond in film or uh, in theaters because it was only in theaters, and uh, I do feel like maybe some of the sp- grand spectacle of the set pieces and the action scenes. Might have been lost a little bit in translation uh, on a smaller screen, um, but I, I also I think uh, just as a personal opinion uh, and knowing uh, if we had the other person who may have joined us this morning, uh, who is not as into Dune as the three of us, um, <laughs> it was probably best for him to watch it at home because he really couldn't get into the film. It was very slow for him. Uh, and I know that's a point we're going to talk about a little bit. I know Leslie's got some feelings uh, on that. Uh, nothing, nothing negative, but uh, she does yeah. have some good points about it. And, um, and and I know for him, it probably would have been a, a waste of a ticket for him to go see it in theaters and maybe walk out because it wasn't as fast paced as maybe he was expecting. So I think if you're hesitant, about whether or not you would enjoy Dune if you're not familiar with the source material or if you're not familiar with the, you know the Lynch film or the miniseries it might be best for you to try it out on streaming because if you especially if you have HBO Max cuz then you're not out any extra money um and then you know cuz I've even considered it maybe I'll go catch it in theaters now uh kind of do the inverse of what you did um to get that more grand spectacle cuz there are some beautiful set pieces that probably would look more fantastic on a bigger screen than on my, my 65 inch TV. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. I know Leslie and I both uh, are kind of of the like mind. Like if there's a movie that's kind of, you're kind of on the fence on um, the option of having it to be able to watch from home is a little bit nicer because you're not wasting gas. You're not wasting money on concessions. Uh, and then especially if you don't enjoy the the film uh, kind of, for example, Halloween kills, I, I, for the most part, liked most of the film, but I would have been really disappointed by the ending, and especially had I gone to go see it in theaters, because it's just this kind of lackluster ending, uh, even though I know they've got a third one kind of out the ways, I don't feel like I'm out any extra money because I watched it from home through my Peacock service. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Leslie. Leslie, what thoughts do you have on the um, on that kind of, what was your experience like? Well, first I have a question for Johnny. Um, do you have the same sort of like sound setup thing that Patrick has going on, or was oh, the probably sound not. like different? Uh, I just have uh, uh, the two sides and two rear speakers. I don't have, okay. and the SL buffer. I don't have, uh, and a center channel. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like the sound, like the soundtrack, really stood out to me. That that would be like much more impressive in the theater than at home. Yeah, I, I would agree. I definitely didn't get like the whole. Uh, uh, I want to say like when Paul is kind of tripping out on the spice, uh, I didn't get kind of like that oppressive feel that the music was giving you in, in the theaters uh, when I was streaming it. 
And, and yeah. I, I would say, just to kind of interject there a little bit, I, I think I did, but that's only because of the sound system I have. So I have like yeah, a, a Vizio 5.1. It's got yeah. Dolby Atmos. I had the subwoofer behind my chair. And even at like low volumes, like I turned it down a few times and I was still getting the like thump, 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 you know, of the bass and everything. So, yeah, so, that, well, that could impact it. That's another yeah comment for anybody who's going to go ahead and just stream it at home is because I think the sound design in this was amazing. Absolutely. And that's just from the little bit that I got, you know, because I just have the TV. I don't have any other extra speakers or anything like that. Also, your so pleb. I guess. <laughs> you know, but even from that little bit, I thought, wow, this would be really cool to hear this in the theater and like kind of feel it shake the theater. So that is one one aspect that I think if if you really are like really into the music or that's like your thing that really draws you in, you might want to see it in the theater too. Um, But no, I liked streaming it at home. I did kind of like, you know, back to when we recorded this the first two times (laughs) and you kind of mentioned like you did kind of end up checking your phone, you know, how how much longer do I have? I kind of did that. And, you know, we're going to talk about, I rewatched the Lynch film and I did that through that one too. So I'm like, (laughs) you know, if you're at home, you know, it's a good experience because, you know, you can have you're cozy and snuggling on the couch or, you know, all of your stuff and a giant pizza. Nobody's going to judge you while you eat the whole thing, you know, <laughs> stuff like that going on. But it, I do think it would be worth going to see in the theater. I typically like to go to the theater a week or two after something's come out just because I don't like the crowds. Right. That was even like pre-pandemic. I don't like feeling all crowded in a the theater like that. So I might go, you know, in the next couple of weeks here or so, but we have Eternals coming out, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same, although I don't wait. I usually do the, like, next day early matinee showing, so, like, most people aren't getting up at 10 o'clock to go see, you know, a movie, especially Dune um, in that aspect. But, yeah, I, I'm a little bit of the same thing. Like, it, it's really... It's not, I I like the theater going experience, but I have had my fair share of uh, bad theater experiences. Um, The most notable one, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, was Kong uh, Skull Island. And uh, my buddy Jake and I had gone and seen it. And we, there were people just talking. There was someone with their kid who was just they had a ball in there and they were kicking the ball around and like <laughs> couldn't hear much of the dialogue, which thankfully like that movies, you're not really wanting to pay attention necessarily to character dialogue. You want to see monkey smash, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's one of those things though, where it was like, it was very oppressive feeling. And even when we went and saw James Bond, there was people on their phones. Uh, again, someone brought their young kid to an almost three hour film. And by the time it gets to almost almost the end he's going is it over yet is it over yet and i can understand that for a young kid so it really is is how can you manage this within your own time schedule how like if you've got kids and you want to go see dune in the theaters like you got to get that babysitter you got to get that babysitter for at least three hours uh because you got trailers and stuff like that and got the travel time to the theater uh so i i I hope that this doesn't kind of go away, not just for Dune um, specifically, but just for um, movies in general, giving that kind of easier accessibility uh, for people who may be more fearful to go out there uh, in this kind of post-pandemic world we're living in. Um, And I think it also increases the visibility of certain films. Uh, Lesser films may not 
like it, it, Dune. Dune was a risk for Warner Brothers, and I think mm-hmm. it was smart for them to do this dual release because it it ended up being streamed a lot and it ended up going to the theaters a lot. So, um, you know, it could have eliminated half of its audience just by specifically going straight to theaters because you do have those people who aren't familiar with the source material, those people who are familiar with the source material and both of them maybe going, yeah, I don't want to go out for a two and a half hour film. Um, so I'm just going to stay at home, wait till it comes out on digital later on. So, uh, yeah, there are some definitely give and takes to the theater experience. And hey, I worked at a movie theater, so I, I love the movies and I love movie theaters a lot. But I also am introverted and I like to just stay at home. So, you know, um, that's just kind of, I think, something that they need to consider going forward. Now, I know with Dune Part 2, they are saying it's going to be theater exclusive but I'm sure that will be subject to change depending on how 2022 goes and whatever happens on out in the world. So, okay, to move on from that little bit of the topic, let's talk about uh, the casting. Um, Leslie, we're going to start off with you on this one. What what did you think of the <laughs> casting on this? I'm, I'm referencing because Johnny had that good idea to bring up IMDb. I'm mm-hmm. looking over at my other screen over here. Um Overall, I think the cast was great. I don't have any issues with how they cast it, like, in any specific one. Because, like, at the 30,000-foot scale, I think everything looks great. All the characters look good. I feel like everybody did a really great job, even for how little or how long that they're on screen for. Um, The only one that I would say I'm just the teeniest, tiniest bit disappointed with, and it's just a personal little tiny, tiny nitpick. I don't want to, like, make this overblown whatsoever. (laughs) It's just that I'm disappointed that Jason Momoa is Duncan Idaho (laughs) and that he's he's, he's on there for a certain amount of time and then he's not without trying to be spoilery. Okay, well, be honest. You just wanted to see him without his shirt, right? No, I wanted to see him, like... In the whole movie, but you know. <laughs> Sorry, I, feel I, like I had didn't to get enough screen time. <laughs> you're you're That's the one. My... You're the one female on the podcast, so I, I felt like I, <laughs> I had to bring that up. I don't feel like he got enough screen time. That's my. I, I could agree with my that. Complaint. That's my tiniest. But everyone else, I feel like, was cast very well. You know, if you're a person that just follows actors just to see what things they're in. There's, there's a plenty of a cast here for you to choose from of yeah. like, well, I came for Jason Momoa. Well, I came for Zendaya. I came for Josh Brolin. I came for you know, Timothy Sh- Chalamet. Yeah. Hope I'm pronouncing yeah, his last did. name right. <laughs> you know, or I follow Oscar Isaac. Like the cast is amazing. And I think they all did a really, really good job. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, Johnny. Uh, yeah. I, I've been excited about the movie ever since I started like announcing casts, like back in 2017, like, I would see, like, oh, they just cast uh, Dave Bautista as Raban. Uh, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, then Jason Momoa as Duncan. I was like, yes. Uh, so, so it was like, from the get-go, I was excited about the cast because they're all very well uh, accomplished. And they played very good roles in, in, in the past. So I was like, yeah, these are good choices. The only one that I knew absolutely nothing on was Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, they cast him as as the lead. Uh, I want to see other movies he's been in, see if this is a good fit or not. Uh, 
so I found that he uh, played in a movie called The King on Netflix. Uh, I think it's a Netflix original. I, I can't can't remember. Uh, but he's playing either Henry the Third or Henry the Fifth. It's one of the Henrys at, at the very least, and he's very good. Uh, he he's uh, both. Uh, calculating, vulnerable, commanding, naive, uh, very just human in general. And that's the type of person you want to play Paul. So I was very satisfied with that choice. Uh, We kind of touched on this on our first attempt at recording. (laughs) Uh, I was very excited to see uh, Rebecca Ferguson play Lady Jessica because reading the books – one of my favorite characters is, is Lady Jessica because later on in the series, the Benny Jessica have a much bigger role in, in what's happening. And uh, Lady Jessica kind of uh, p- uh, puts uh, start starts that wave off. And uh, let's see what what's her name in the original Lynch film? <laughs> uh, Francesca a- Annis. Okay. Um, she basically does nothing and cry in the movie. Uh, maybe in the expanded, uh, like four hour TV version, she does more, but I've only seen that once decades ago. Uh, but she really is a non-player in, in, in that movie. Saskia Reeves in the miniseries has more agency, but she wasn't the lady Jessica I had envisioned. Like the closest that, to the late Jessica, I, I saw when I was reading the books, it was actually Alice Creech uh, in uh, the Children of Dune miniseries. Like she had the poise, she had the commanding atmosphere, she had the authority in her voice, she had the femininity that I just saw in Lady Jessica, and I was like, okay, how is Rebecca Ferguson going to uh, bring about this? Not that I wanted her to do my version of Jessica, I wanted her to do, do her version of Jessica. And at first, like when I first saw it, it just seemed like that's all she was doing. It was similar to uh, David Lynch's um, version of Jessica or Francesca Annis's version of Jessica. Uh, She just cried a lot. But she had more agency. She had more um, uh, things to do. And she was her own person. And on second viewing, I realized something about uh, her performance was this isn't just Paul's story. This is both hers and Paul's story. Because when you see the scene with the Gom Jabbar uh, before they go to uh, uh, Dune, uh, she is the one citing the litany against fear instead of Paul. Mm -hmm. And you can see as she's reciting it, which is uh, the litany that Benny Jesra teach other Benny Jesra because this is something like, hey, you're losing your emo- control of your emotions, recite this, and you'll get back in control. And you see her get more and more and more like resolute and firm. And uh, yes, in the scene later on, she's crying again for, uh, you know, of course, Leto dies. <laughs> so like her husband <laughs> dies, yes, she's going to cry. Uh, but then at the very end of the film, you see her, see her self, you see that she's stealing herself again because she's seeing that Paul and Chani are getting closer. And she's like, I'm going to have to teach this dumbass some lessons about politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm um, going to have to make, make the tough decisions for him. And it's like, I'm 
uh, I'm excited for part two because I think it's going to be more of the Lady Jessica I've envisioned. Um, just a quick interjection there. And uh, and this is only because I am currently reading it for the first time. And you made a very uh, interesting analysis there that I think is actually very close to what Frank Herbert did or was doing in his book. Uh, you said that this was more not just Paul's story, but Jessica's story as well. It's both of their stories. And uh, I'm just kind of at the portion in the book where um, Paul uh, encounters the hunter-seeker drone, but then it's also switching perspective because then the next chapter is literally minutes before that and Jessica exploring more of the house and finding um, this airlock thing and also but just like coming to terms with a lot of other things about why they're coming to Arrakis, her worry about Arrakis, her worry about the Harkonnens, um, and what this is, uh, you know, with the plan for the Bene Gesserit. So I, I've noticed that the book does switch perspectives a lot between Paul and Jessica, just even in the early portions, because I'm still only like 113 pages into this massive book. So I know I've got more to go, but I, I, I thought that that was interesting because that's kind of what I've been picking up from the book. So that's a, that's a really cool uh, thing that you, you've noticed that with this film. Because I can't mm-hmm. say I noticed it on my first, well, I haven't watched it a second time, but I can't say I noticed that per se. But with what you're talking about, um, how you know she's reciting the litany against fear and stuff like that, and and her journey, that it does make sense that it is falling more in line with the book uh, than what I originally thought. Um, so, do you have any other things to talk about with casting, or? Okay, so um, the one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about with casting, because again, I'm the one who's the least familiar with the source material and, and had only really seen the Dune, uh, the Lynch uh, Dune film. Uh, Doctor Kynes, uh, they gender swapped for this uh, this version, and um, quite frankly. I really enjoyed this actress who played Dr. Kynes. Now, I I'm, mm-hmm. don't have her name offhand. Let's see if I can pull it up here real quick. Uh, Sharon Duncan uh, Brewster. Brewster. And uh, I've seen her in a, in a few other things. Uh, most notably, she was in the Water of Mars episode of Doctor Who with uh, David Tennant. And um, I really liked her in this film. Uh, I mean, it's a very kind of minor role, but... Uh, at least in this version, uh, it's a little bit, I think what maybe more important in the book or maybe, uh, was more focused on cause I, I believe it was Max von Sydow, uh, who played him in the, or played the character in the, uh, Lynch film. Yeah. Um, I liked her presence on screen. I liked her uh-huh. diplomacy between her connection to, uh, Arrakis, but also the connection to the Imperium and everything. Um, and, and kind of walking that thin line between both. Um, and I, I, I know that gender swapping kind of becomes a very controversial or touchy subject for especially diehard fans of a source material. Um, and, and to give an example of one, I think that did it poorly was Captain Marvel because they made Marvel a woman. Wasn't the fact that they were doing Brie Larson's Captain Marvel or anything like that. Cause I, quite frankly, a few years ago when I was still collecting really enjoyed Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel, but it was the relationship between Carol and Marvell that also made that relation, uh, made that character so interesting. And it was a male female dynamic and it wasn't anything that the, the male was better than the female or anything like that. Um, but it was these two characters, despite their gender working together. 
And um, I think what was ruined in that film was they did it without the right motivation or without the right setup because it was this it was a punch in uh, punch in the gut kind of revelation in the film. It was like, oh no, she wasn't a human, and it and that Benning is Marvel the entire time, and it just feels wasted. It feels unearned. But in this film, I think they do a really good job with her and with Kynes' character. For you to understand, and you explained this in the in the um, previous attempts at recording this, uh, that you know when you look at kind of the the uh, um, culture of the the Fremen, and uh, even though they're a patriarchal kind of society, the women are trained just as much as the men in combat, and also kind of can hold their own. Uh, and so it made it made sense within the internal logic of Frank Herbert's world that this character could have been a woman as well. And I think that that's the difference between those two comparisons of just doing it for an agenda or for just for whatever. Um, and, and it's going to be really interesting, although I'm not really familiar with it, the Eternals. I know several characters are gender swapped for that film. And I'm going to have to wonder if they did it like they did with Dune. Like if it feels right then I'm going to be okay with it. But if it feels unearned and it feels out of place and it feels like purely some, somebody from outside of the film going, Hey, we need to have these actors or these people be these specific things for this specific reason only, and not for the sake of the story and not for the sake of, of telling a good story, then I'm going to have an issue with it. But I really, really liked what they did with kinds in this film. Um, one of the biggest things I think is is what makes this stand far apart from the Lynch film. And I like Kyle MacLachlan, but that's the one thing we've also talked about in those prior attempts was he is too old for the role, even in that film. I mean, he's not old, old in the film, but like the in the book, he's 15. And Timothy yep. Chalamet, even though he's in his 25. 20s, yeah, he looks... I mean, he's probably the same age that Kyle was when filming Dune, but he looks still young enough to play that, like you said, naive yet commanding uh, person trying to find their place in the universe uh, role. And and he just he has a different command of the performance and of the character than I think Kyle did. Um, well, I think go ahead. I, don't, I don't think they point out age in any of the movie or no, tv versions no yeah and i i kind of think that's a good idea for them because if they were trying to do this like a you know he's 15 it'd be kind of like a hunger Games situation where you're yeah. like supposed to envisioning all these people as teenagers and whatever and maybe getting a little more questionable whereas when you just look at him you just like you said his look and you look at him and you think oh what well, maybe he's like maybe he's 18 or 20 you right. know but you yeah. don't you're not thinking like he's 14 and he shouldn't be doing this or that or whatever, you know, and, and filtering it through that lens. Right. And, and I mean, it's just like, it, it, it's how Kyle uh, McLaughlin holds himself in that original film where he holds himself as more of an adult. And yet uh, Timothy kind of holds himself more as that uh, child on the cusp of becoming an adult, you know, not necessarily from the age aspect, but just from the maturity level of someone yeah, adult. Life. Yeah. You know, and because yeah. the whole, the whole thing with him is like that kind of trying to live up to what he thinks his father wants him to be. Whereas like Kyle just doesn't really seem to 
to do that. He just does whatever, you know, they set out to do in in that Dune, the original Dune film. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Oscar Isaac as Leto. Uh, it just, although, you know, it feels kind of like I wanted more time with him. Um, I wanted to see more screen time, more presence. Uh, same with just like, like I wanted some more time with Jason Momoa. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, well, and that's where I was going next. Like just same thing with with uh, with Duncan and J- uh, Jason Momoa because like he's only there for certain aspects of the film, and then when he finally like leaves the film, we'll just say that um, it, it just was like, oh, I wanted more time with him. Um, yeah. And Especially I, given how long the movie is, and that this is only like first half ish of the book i kind of i wanted more right and uh i i kind of wonder if they're going to like a like a lord of the rings style like extended version of of dune i mean i wouldn't be surprised uh if if he's anything like peter peter jackson he's already like filmed you know cutting the the four hour version (laughs) and and the thing is like you know people people will buy it people will buy this especially this one um but i also really want to talk about josh brolin as gurney um, because you look at the biggest comparison between him and Patrick Stewart, like Patrick Stewart is fine as Gurney in the eighties film, but it's, it's a little bit more flourished and like fanciful. Whereas Josh Brolin is that grizzled old soldier, you know, he, mm-hmm. who, that, that war he's been through war. He's got the scars to prove it. And, and he's only trying to teach Paul the, the basics for self-defense and to not let his guard down. Whereas, like, when you go to that first scene with Patrick Stewart, he just, like, he's supposed to be angry, but it just feels like you're having Picard yell at you for a second and then jumping <laughs> you. <laughs> and and nothing against Patrick Stewart. I love him. But I, I think it was just like, oh, it's a big name. We can get him in this role. And it wasn't just a great adaptation of the Gurney character. Whereas Josh Brolin, I think if he hadn't played Thanos and he hadn't played uh, uh, Cable... Uh, and you hadn't seen him in other several films like uh, Sicario playing kind of that war, uh, war aged character. It, 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 he probably wouldn't have succeeded as well in this film, too. And also, he's got that voice, you know, he's got that gra- kind of gravelly voice of someone who's been through war. So I think that that was a really good uh, casting choice as well. I loved Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, I thought she was really good as Lady Jessica. And, you know, the one complaint people might have about this and specifically because like Leslie brought up you if you're following um, these films for uh, specific actors uh, people might have been coming to this film for Zendaya and they might have come away disappointed but yeah. I think the the thing is is that you have to understand because like when this film was marketed and stuff like that I didn't follow it I had no idea it was only going to be a portion of the book I'm not sure if anyone did, uh, do, I mean, I know you were following it more closely, Johnny, did you know that this was only going to be a partial adaption, uh, adaptation? Yeah. I had seen an article saying that this was, that they were going to, it's going to be a multi-part, um, movie, but yeah, the advertising for it failed in that regard right? where, where they don't mention this is Dune part one. They just keep (laughs) calling it Dune. Right. And if, if somebody was just following the marketing, and then they get into the theaters and they see Dune and then little script below that part one. They're like, wait, what? That, that was certainly my reaction when I started the film. And then that came up there. I was like, huh? Like, oh, oh OK. Like, are they talking about part one as in this is being the first book of and then because what you got Children of the Dune and then Messiah of Dune or or I might have uh, this. Mes- 
Yeah, backwards. It's okay. Doom Messiah and the Children Dune. And so, like, you know, that's where my because I knew that there were multiple books in the in the series and stuff like that. That I'm like, okay, they're just saying part one. Like, he wants to make book two and book three as well. But once you get to the like, once you get like over halfway through the film, you're like, oh yeah, no, this is like only a portion of the book. So, um, you know, people might be disappointed by that Zendaya thing, but then you kind of got to understand, especially now that we know part two has been greenlit, uh, she is going to have more of an impact in the second part of this film mm-hmm. uh, series. And I, and I think it's also wise too, because they did say that he envisioned this as a trilogy uh, of films to adapt the one book because he wanted to give the ample story time, the ample character development, and the build-up feeling justified when you get to the end, where you go and you look at the Lynch film, and it it crams that seven hundred page book into two hours and like fourteen minutes, and you look at this film, and it's two two and a half hours, and it's only crammed in like the first like one hundred and fifty to two hundred three hundred pages of a seven hundred page book. So you know, it, I think that he's approaching it in the better light. So I think that's gonna. With- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, with that, um, him envisioning it as a trilogy, I have seen some reviewers who were upset about that because they're like, it's The Hobbit all over again. And I'm like, this is nowhere like The Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You obviously have not read the book or even like maybe even looked at the book to understand that this is so, this is a thick book. The Hobbit is, you know, meant to be a children's book. And it's like, what, like 100 pages, something like that? Uh, about like 175, maybe 200. And, yeah, so and to... it, it, it's very skinny versus this is like a very meaty, meaty book. This is like Lord of the Rings, all three books together, like as it's meant to be sort mm-hmm. of a thing. So it's it's not at all crazy for him to have envisioned this as a trilogy. Well, and, and it's not like marketing or they're trying to pull a stunt or anything like to that. To give you more credit on what you're saying there, like all it takes is opening up to the content section and seeing book one, <laughs> Dune, book two, Muad'Dib, uh, and then book three, Muad'Dib. The Prophet. Um, so, and, and that's how the miniseries divides it too. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, where it's like you obviously have no idea what's going on uh with the book itself you're not even trying to necessarily like look at the source material because yeah i can i mean i was one who when they said they were going to make the hobbit into three films i'm like i mean i could see two maybe but like <laughs> mm-hmm. three especially when you make three just all the battle of the five armies and uh, you know and you have two end where you have uh or what was two the desolation of smog end where it ends it's like no, you you just you know no, and the extended editions help a little bit. They do that. help That's a little bit, um, and and like with what. Because he he I know he can never make the Silmarillion because that's an impossible book to adapt, but like he was trying to fill in a lot of the stuff from the appendices from Lord of the Rings and fill in a lot of background like where Gandalf was during most of this and you know it it fits within the actual lore that Tolkien had set up, but it's not stuff that's actually found within the Hobbit. So I mean even when you read the Hobbit before reading Lord of the Rings, there are vast inconsistencies because he never <laughs> you know never intended it to become. Lord of the Rings until he decided to sit down and write Lord of the Rings because you know Gandalf's like oh it's just a magic ring and now it's all the it's the one ring you know and all that Mm -hmm. stuff so um, all right let's now go into the visuals and kind of sound design of the film this is a 
beautiful looking film. I mean, you you know, everyone can have their fair share of criticism of CGI. I I have it vastly, especially when it comes to horror films. Um, you know, when they go to CGI effects for creatures and stuff like that, it it does not look as good as practical effects. But the CG of this film is so spot on and so perfect that the ships look real. The sandworms look real. Everything looks fantastic in this film. And I know, Leslie, you're a big fan of the music in this film. The The, the score that accompany, accompanies this film is perfect. It, it, I mean, everything kind of fires on all cylinders. The ships look like ships you would expect to see, you know, in a sci-fi film and everyone's character designs, the, the suits, the still suits. And um, it all just seems to really feel like it's coming from the book. Um, I, I don't really have a whole lot to talk about the visual aspect, but like, I, I do think that you can hate the film, right? But you cannot say that the film looks bad um, from any yeah, aspect. It does- like just thinking, because I just rewatched the Lynch film, and then thinking back to my memories of the miniseries, like this, like has the budget and looks like it. It doesn't look like they rented like some French, you know, military costumes <laughs> and put them on them just to like act like, you know, they're all in military uniform or whatever. You know, I think there is like a a, a cheapness aspect that you can kind of see in some of the costuming, even in the miniseries where you kind of look at it and you're like, what, what, you know, or why are they wearing this thing or that? But like, this actually looks like real. I mean, right. it's not, you know, you real with the suspension of disbelief, but it, it looks very appropriate, all right. of it. And the visuals with the landscapes, I'm sure would have looked much better on the IMAX screen, but they were just beautiful. I mean, there's plenty of places where you could like pause it and like that could be a piece of art. Yes. You know, it's it's yeah. gorgeous. Gorgeous. And Johnny, anything from you on the visual and, and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I heartily uh, agree with Leslie. Like this is an absolute gorgeous movie to watch. And uh, in between our attempts at recording, <laughs> uh, I, I watched uh, an interview with uh, Denis Villeneuve about uh, uh, him watching uh, Lawrence of Arabia when he was younger and it, it's like, which is that. another which is another favorite movie of mine it, it, it it's gorgeously shot uh very uh, good actors with peter o'toole and omar sharif uh and uh i would say uh, alec baldwin uh, not alec baldwin alec guinness <laughs> uh is a good actor but alec guinness is playing alec guinness in that movie. <laughs> i think he, uh, about almost in any movie he's in he's he's playing alec guinness <laughs> yeah <laughs> even as obi-wan <laughs> <laughs> or but, as the uh, uh, as the butler in uh, Murder by Death. I have not seen that one. Oh, I quick sidetrack because I know I've told Leslie about this film several times. If you have not seen Murder by Death, go watch it now. Go find it. <laughs> find it. Buy it. It is uh, a fantastic. <laughs> Uh, parody of and of course today it's it would totally be non-pc because you have peter sellers playing uh an asian detective obviously kind of not as bad as mickey rourke and breakfast at tiffany's but still like it's intentionally made to be bad but they're all playing like um what is it sam spade is um you mean is, mickey rooney well Mick no mickey well mickey rooney as uh 
he what the landlord in Breakfast at Tiffany's, but like Sam Spade, the character from the actual like pulp detective novels. I I may be actually getting uh, Peter uh, Peter. Um, oh God, why Columbo's name? I can't think of his name right now. Peter Falk. Peter Falk. Peter Falk. It's either Sam Spade is the character he plays, or I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of the original detective that he is a parody of. But like you have the parodies of Miss Marple, the parodies of, of Sam Spade, the parodies of Nick and Nora, all of these like uh, fictional detectives and movies that have been made about those detectives and stuff like that. So all these, you know, parodies of literature figures uh, all attending and uh, Alec Guinness plays the blind butler in that film. <laughs> and it's, it's on par with, um, Oh God, why can't I think of his name now? Um, if you're familiar with Scary Movie 2 and the butler in that film um, and his special arm, it's like on oh. par with that performance um, where it's just ridiculous and fun. But absolutely, go check that film out. It's totally not PC today, but it is very enjoyable. Um, so to get back like <laughs> kind of on, on topic, uh, yeah, you know, the, the Vista is just – I could totally see – the, the Lawrence of Arabia inspiration in this film, especially with a lot of the, the desert scenes. Uh, so that, that definitely tracks for, for this film. Um, and I didn't mean to, you know, sidetrack you on what you're saying. If you can remember back what you were, what you were trying well, to tell us. Well, you, you pretty much concluded with that last statement. It's, it's like, you can see the influence uh, of that movie on this one where it's, you get these wide grand shots of something you you film the desert a certain way so you get like the loneliness the barrenness uh but also the its majesty and its beauty mm -hmm. and, and uh it, it's like you you could see his previous uh, works uh as well as like his um uh influences in, in this movie all right, so now we're going to um, kind of shift to let's let's talk about the story of the film. Um, and Leslie, I'm going to, because I know you you have your, your thoughts on how, how this could have been maybe a little bit better in, in the sense of how uh, you would, how you and I know some other people have talked about how this would have been better, maybe not as a film. Okay, um, So yeah. I'm going to turn go it over to you for that. Okay. Um my opinion and what I would like to see with Dune is I would like to see a series or a mini series. Like it doesn't have to be 22 episodes of television, you know, sort of a thing, but I feel like a series would have been better. It's kind of like if you're a big game of Thrones fan and envision whatever the first book, trying to do that entire book in two and a half hours. Right. It, it it's just, it's great and it's good what we got, but it could have been so much more, you know, I feel like there's that level of it, it. There's plenty here, plenty throughout this book and then the rest of the books that it could easily, easily be a series or or like a limited series sort of a thing, like six episode parts or something like that. Right. Just where where you get some more in depth and you take time to explain things more. So one of the reviews that I watched in between um, our first <laughs> attempts to record it now. <laughs> had kind of the full range. They had one guy who knew absolutely nothing and then one guy who knew like everything and then somebody in the middle who had like was just kind of like you Patrick like yeah. just reading the book. So that's that was their spread these three fellas and they're watching it and the poor guy who like had zero context for anything had so many questions at the end. He's like explain this to me. Explain this to me. I don't understand this. 
and he's asking all these questions and the guy who you know knew everything is explaining it to him that he was like this is just he's like this should have been a series we're in the golden age of television they could have taken more time to explain and set these things up like Foofer when mm. his eyes glaze over like he had no idea he didn't know any of that the, 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 the mentats didn't, yeah. didn't yeah. understand you know so like he just had this full thing of questions he's like I had to have you fill in all these gaps for me he's like that I'm sure you really enjoyed the film because you knew all of this stuff already ahead of time mm. but you had to fill all this in for me so he's in his opinion, it felt like he wasted two and a half, three hours of like just kind of sitting here looking at pretty visuals. And I can completely understand that because I feel like there is so much they could set up better and like take longer time with if you give, if you spread it out for that, maybe you want to do six, nine episodes sort of a thing to really, to really understand what the Bene Gesserit have been doing all these thousands of years and why it's so important, you know, and just like, these little buildups. Who are the Sadukor? Instead of you just kind of here they are. They're they're the emperors, whatever. And then you just kind of go on and you, you you put that together. But it's not like it's not that same. It, everything's like surface level right. of putting it together. It's the tip of the iceberg, and there just could have been so much more. So that's that's I feel like the full gist of like what I said last time. It's just I feel like it could have been a, a series, but I do think this adaptation is good. Um, excuse me. I think it's doing a good, it's doing a good job. Um, I don't feel like it's horrible in any way whatsoever. I feel like it's being very true to the book, but I just, to me, there's, it could have been more. Right. Right. And, and that's, uh, that's understandable. And, and I can tell you that, um, you know, with what Pat has told me, cause I know he had stopped about halfway through, um, and he was just kind of bored because it, this, this film is a very slow buildup. And again, because mm-hmm. he's trying to pay as much respect to the source material as he can, but obviously there are going to be things like the Mentats that you're going to leave out, you know, like more, more of an explanation of what the Mentats are um, and what kind of uh, point they play as, uh, you know, as Thufur does. Because like Thufur is, you know, very to the side in this film, like pops yeah. up like three times in the entire film. Um, and, uh, you know, Pitter is, you know, you wouldn't even know Pitter's in this film, except that I had the subtitles on and, <laughs> and the fact that it was like dying gas Pitter. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was Pitter. Yeah, or you knew who the character should have been. And you're like, oh, that's probably him. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Once I saw David Dalmatian in there, I was like, okay, that's probably Pitter. But you know, no one, <laughs> no one said anything about who it was. Um, but it, it does feel like certain things are glossed over and yet certain things are given focus on, like the explanation of the still suits and how they work and the fact that Paul was able to somehow manage to do it perfectly, you know, when Dr. Kynes is, is reviewing him and, you know, his father couldn't do it. Um, and, you know, yeah, you don't get a whole lot of explanation on who the emperor is, uh, what the really what the connection between the Harkonnens and the Atreides are, because I just got to kind of a point in the book where UA and just lady Jessica are talking and they're talking about the fact that like, you know, the Atreides are direct cousins like to the emperor's line. So they could potentially actually have a more legitimate uh, claim to the throne at some point down the road. And the Harkonnens only came into their position through profit, you know, through the, the chome and everything like that. Um, so like, that's one aspect that I hadn't known was really missing from the film until I got to that kind of portion in the book. And I'm sure there's going to be much more that I get to as the further along in the book I go. Um, 
And so I think that that was something that they could have gone into a little bit more explanation for. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, there are some things that I think that they focused on maybe that they could have glossed over and other things that they should have gone a little bit more in depth on that they didn't. The Sardacor being one of them. Um, again, the kind of the emperor relationship with the Atreides and the Harkonnens, uh, which I'm assuming will probably come more in part two. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get some flashback sequences, you know, to fill in some gaps. And, and that's not necessarily a bad Hopefully. way to do it either, because you, you don't want to overload someone, especially if they're not familiar with the source material with all of this information. And they're trying to now uh, put it all together and understand how these interconnected, very complicated relationships are all occurring. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand why people might tune out in this because of the, the slow buildup, but I, I think it's doing it fine. Um, I don't think that the film really, it's not really negatively impacted by its slow buildup, especially now knowing that part two is greenlit. Like if it had just ended here and this was a failure, I'd be more disappointed because, we're left there, right? Like we're, yeah, yeah, we're like, okay, we can assume what's going to come later. Yeah. I can go read the book or whatever, but it's much like when a, a series ends on a cliffhanger finale and then they cancel the show like Krypton, um, like the Sarah Connor Chronicles, you know, it, when you end that and you don't even give them a wrap up thing, it, it really kind of leaves you with a sour taste in your mouth. Um, so that's Leslie's thoughts. That's my thoughts. Johnny, what's your thoughts? Well, well, first off, I always thought like uh, once I heard that this was going to be a multi-parter, if not just two-parter, that I thought that the book or not the book, the movie was going to end almost right after the fall of House Atreides. Uh, 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 like seeing, uh, you know, Duncan's final stand, that was uh, that was great. And I was like, OK, we can end it here, you know, where, you know. Paul and Jessica are going to go find the Fremen now. It's like, okay, that gives us some hope for the future. It'd be sort of like starting off the Star Wars trilogy with the Empire Strikes Back instead of A New Hope. Uh, But they continued on, and Paul fights uh, uh, Jameis, and then they end the movie. And it's like, that doesn't feel like a good place to, to stop it. Yes, there is more hope now because... Uh, Paul and Jessica are a little more entrenched in, uh, or they got their foothold, I'll say, in, in right. the Fremen society. Uh, but it's just like, you know, if if we had kind of like, not necessarily a downer ending, but like we get them at their lowest. And then it's like, okay, now in the next movie, you have a much more like steady increase. Uh, whereas now that uh, the fight with Jameis is done, it's like, well, now all I see is like you just see Paul learning from in society and integrating more. And I guess uh, like you'll see him become more charismatic because Paul in a way is kind of like a or in, in, in the books is kind of like a uh, deconstruction of uh, a charismatic leader coming to power and uh the and the deconstruction of like the white savior trope mm-hmm. uh before it truly was a trope as it is now uh but uh i i felt like uh 
overall, like the story w- was good. Yes, it did have a, f- in my opinion, a slight pacing issues, uh, because being a fan of Dune, uh, as you said, Leslie, it's like a lot of these things I can fill in in, in my head and. It, like seeing through for eyes glaze over it's like oh he's gone to mentat mode and he's uh, uh computing now but there were uh things i wish they kind of explained for the people who weren't fans of dune uh you know like okay he's he's a mentat uh mentats are human computers because human-like intelligence in machines is outlawed because of the butler and jihad uh which happened thousands of years ago and, um, you know, stuff like that would have been fine, you know, because they had that picture book thing that Paul was listening to. They just could have a little blurb about that. Right. Yeah, yeah. that would have been fine. Uh, what I did like was that none of the other um, uh, adaptations have done so far was they showed how incomplete Paul's uh, future vision is. Like, they, uh, you see this vision of uh, Chani stabbing Paul or uh seeing Jameis uh being his friend and teaching him the Fremen ways. Uh and, and it's like because he's seen possible futures. Uh whereas once he actually you know becomes the Kwisatz Hatterak, he sees all these futures, uh, which is another and another thing that they none of the adaptations I've mentioned is Paul is also trained as a mentat. Yeah, I, I was fully, just getting to that portion in the book too because that was something I d- had no idea about. <laughs> yeah, he's not fully trained. He's just had some basic training, but because of that, he's able to suss out all the uh, 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 f- possible futures to find the one that he wants. Uh, uh, that you know he. The, the to get his goal right and and um uh i i thought that was a really great touch because it's like yes he's not just simply a savior or, or you know a deconstruction of the chosen one trope he is also kind of building up to that and things are incomplete now until he gets that mantle on him yeah, and um, this was one thing I did want to mention, and it just popped back in my head, uh, that I think is also a failing kind of in, in not focusing enough uh, and only focusing, a, like I wouldn't want them to focus too much on this, but I think they needed to put more light on it, was UA's relationship with the Atreides. Because yes. when you get to the betrayal, it's like, okay, like, you know, it, yeah. it's it's not it's not really built up, it doesn't feel earned. And then whereas in the book, like, again, because you're getting multiple character perspectives, you're getting UA's internal struggle with, I don't want to betray this family, but I want to try to save my wife, you know? And so the betrayal feels more earned in the book than -hmm. it does in the film because UA only pops up, like, again, for two scenes and then he's gone, you know, so like the, there's no buildup of the relationship between Paul and UA, uh, with Lady Jessica and UA, with Leto and UA, until you get to kind of the that climax with his character arc. And it's just like, okay, good plan and all, but like, I, I don't feel betrayed because I have no real connection to that betrayal. So uh, which I, is I think why that, the whole more time with the series, to right. Like, yeah. I mean, I do. I feel like I'm referencing Game of Thrones a lot, but that's just because it's an easy example that a lot of people are familiar with. Until they is... surpass the books. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. 
So, but like, like, look at season one. Like all the different episodes we have, how we establish characters, and then how it builds up to these different relationships, and how that could have been the formula to make a Dune um, adaption. Yeah. And, and just kind of think about the differences of that. Just like a thought experiment of like, then you could have more explanation on this relationship, and then you would feel betrayed, like when Littlefinger turns on Ned. Right. You know, spoilers if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, <laughs> but. You know, like, those things would feel a lot more earned than, like, that reviewer that I watched. And he was like, I don't know, anything that's going on, They're, everything's, like, surface level. You're, like, you're, you're not connected. You're kind of right. like, well, these characters die. But you're like, well, all right, you know, whatever. Yeah, mm. it, that that is kind of the, the handoff, you know, the trade that you're making. And, and that's in, you know, kind of any film. Like, it's not endemic specifically to Dune. It's any film that you're trying to do that and you're handling so many different characters at the same time that you're like, okay, what, what can we sacrifice and what can we not sacrifice? Like, cause again, fans of the book are going to fill in UA's backstory, you know, and they're mm-hmm. going to know why that betrayal right. is. Yeah. Why that betrayal, why they literally like write in their history, uh, a, like about the betrayal of UA, you know, like he pretty much becomes the Benedict Arnold of, of Dune in that sense, because of, it set into motion everything else that kind of comes later on. So, um, all right, well, we're, we're running a little long here. Uh, definitely longer than when we were recording this the first time, but I, I think we had a, this time is actually probably our best cause we've had more focus to what we're talking about with each individual Better aspect. Structure. So yeah, we've had um, time to digest what we've watched. Right. That yeah. too, that too. Um, so let's, uh, let's go into kind of, overall thoughts and, and maybe if you want to um, com- compare it to the other adaptations a little bit. Uh, so Johnny, let's start with you. Uh, overall, this is uh, my favorite adaptation of, of Dune. Uh, I do agree with Leslie. I think ultimately it would be better serviced as a, a TV series. Um, but as it stands, because like you said, in our previous adaptations, movies are easier to digest for the casual, yeah. uh, 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 viewer, viewer, or consumer, yeah. consumer. Um, but now that, uh, this adaptation is getting more and more people into Dune, a, a TV series probably wouldn't be out of the question further down the line. Uh, I think it'd be harder in a TV series because there's going to have to rely on so much more CGI on sets. Whereas with game of Thrones, you can go to a castle in like Scotland and, <laughs> yeah. and film a lot of stuff. Um, hey, middle earth, one, middle earth is in New Zealand. So true. true. <laughs> I'm sure they could go to the desert somewhere. <laughs> right. But you know, like you'd still have to make sets for like the, the Arakeen and, and, uh, Gidi prime and, uh, you know, Kaladin and all that. But, uh, uh, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for the miniseries, uh, especially with, uh, the children doing miniseries is, uh, cause of Alice Kriege or Kriege, uh, as Lady Jessica. Um, overall the acting is bad in that one. Um, <laughs> uh, to be fair, but it's a sci-fi, it, so you know that's always a gamble. Yeah, uh, but the David Lynch's Dune, it, it, it's it, it's sort of like, um, oh crap, I forget his name. Uh, the guy who did um, uh, Cool World. Um, oh uh, god! Yeah, I know the, what you're talking. I know he, what movie you're you're referencing for sure. 
uh, he he did an adaptation of the Lord of the Rings, the the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers, uh, and Bakshi, Bakshi, right? yes, yep. yeah, um, like without him, uh, he, we probably wouldn't have Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and I and that's kind of how uh, David Lynch's Dune is. Without David Lynch's Dune, we wouldn't ultimately have Denis Villeneuve's Dune. So, uh, so I appreciate it for that, but it's also my least favorite of, of the three. Okay. Um, Leslie? Uh, well, something I just now thought of while we were all talking here is I don't think they didn't show us the, um, the spacing guild and no. like how they're folding space no. and everything in this one. And I'm well, interested to see how they're going to do that. The, the, there is kind of like a hint of it in the movie. Like when you see the guild highliner, they show one end where oh, yeah. you kind of see through it, and you see the planet that they just left on the other side of it. So yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting take on the space folding because the way I envision it, and other people didn't, but I could be completely wrong, was that there's actually two guild highliners uh, at one in each location, but the guild navigators are folding space in between them, so the, the spaceships just kind of fly right through. So like a Stargate. Somewhat, yes. Yeah. To to yeah, to simplify I, it for my normie brain, <laughs> I was just thinking of you know the different series and and how like their interpretations of what the you know the the guy in the globe yeah I I feel like they had a specific name and I can't remember but you know I'm wondering how how that's gonna look if they're gonna show that at any point or if that's just another piece that he was like that's too much for the adaptation <laughs> for everybody let's just push that to the side real quick. But um, overall, I think this is a great adaptation. Um, like last time you asked us to kind of try and rank them. Yeah. I, now that we know that there's a, a part two kind of greenlit, I'm going to go ahead and edge this one to number one. And as long as um, Danelle Vu, I feel like I'm butchering her Denis name. Villeneuve Denis. or something like that. Yeah. As Denis long Villeneuve. as the director is the same director <laughs> and continues his vision through all three parts and they're all going to be the same level of quality, then I think that this is going to be really, really good. And so I'll put that one first and then the sci-fi series, the mini series. And then again, like you, you know, Lynch is at the bottom. It's you do appreciate each one of them for what they are and for the time period that they're made in. But this one is a far better adaptation. And like I said, when we were talking, we were going to do this to begin with. I said, like, the effects and everything have now ca- caught up to the point where yeah. you could actually do this movie and it not mm-hmm. look ridiculous. Yeah, like the, uh, the which I still, again, like I've, I've said this every time we tried to record this. I don't like the personal shields, <laughs> but they look so much better in this compared to the uh, Lynch film because it's just blocky whatever <laughs> i mean it's it's essentially and the can't borg see the person inside right and yeah. it's it's the borg shield effect from you know that they ended up using later on in star trek next generation where it just looks really bad but it's the limitations of the time right because like when you watch picard now and you have the borg in there it's uh, even just go to first contact you know the borg shields are much more like they make sense you know it's not just this big block of gray screen you know deflecting a phaser beam or something like that it's it's an actual looks like an actual body shield um and yeah i would i would go ahead and say too that uh i think that this is is probably going to be my favorite i have not seen the miniseries um lynch's film like again because i never 
had taken the time to like really read the books or anything like that, I never understood like why people didn't like it. Um, and now I can start to see why, especially again, I think this is the better approach is breaking it up into three films and giving each ample part of the book the time and the space it needs to develop the world, world building, um, character development, setup, and everything like that. So it ultimately pays off. Whereas they tried to just cram that entire book into one film. And that's where things feel rushed, things don't feel earned. And I think that's why it ultimately falls apart um, in, in the Lynch film. And I think that that's why this one's going to end up probably being the best version. And maybe who knows, like, 20, 30 years down the road, we'll get a, a TV series adaptation. Um, because I am also of the mind that I think TV, especially for long form uh, storytelling, television is actually the best way to go with it. Um, I, I'm talking, uh, that's the future for the Marvel films. That's the future for DC. And DC has been pretty much doing it, although they've got issues on the CW. Um, there are a lot of politics being involved in that and, and, you know, stuff going on behind the scenes that even complicate it further. Uh, but like, I think that if you're going to want to give these characters ample time on screen, ample character development um, and stuff like that, because I think when you when we get the Hawkeye series here in November, I think people are going to start understanding why there are some Hawkeye stands who are just like, no, he actually kind of does have some importance. He's not just there shooting arrows and like okay he's the easy one to discard uh, I think we're going to finally understand a little bit more importance and like I said in the prior time one of the best things about WandaVision was developing that relationship showing the, the stuff that happened in between films that made us go oh okay this is why they go from uh, Age of Ultron to just being kind of okay you're there to Civil War okay there's the start of a relationship to um Infinity War, they're basically lovers. And like, you know, we didn't get to see anything happen really on screen with them to make that relationship feel earned. But when you go and watch WandaVision, it gives you the things that go, here's how that developed. Here's where that started. This is why they're at X spot uh, when you get to this film. So I think that that long form storytelling is going to be the future for, uh, I think, bigger stuff. Um, like, honestly, I don't know how it's going to be, but the Amazon Lord of the Rings show, um, it's probably going to be bad because they're not <laughs> developing, you know, Lord of the Rings. They're just developing the second age. And so they're, it's much like I have a little bit of a problem with the, um, the, uh, like war for Mordor and shadow of more shadow of war, uh, Lord of the Rings games. They took some liberties that don't make sense. Like Shalab or Shilob, uh, somehow being able to transform into a woman and then also having her own ring and you creating your own one ring of power and stuff like that. But then you get a really cool payoff by the end of that game and sorry to spoil that game, but it's been out forever. Uh, you, your character is actually one of the Nazgul, like you're one of the, the nine and uh, cause you end up killing one of them and you become one of them. And it ultimately, it's the special ending if you go through the ridiculous post-game content. Um, once you get through the post-game content and Frodo destroys the ring, uh, I believe his name is Talon, gets his like finally redemption moment and and 
gets to die and go on with his family. Like it's it's a beautiful moment. If you ever if you don't want to play the game, look up the ending on YouTube. It's absolutely beautiful. So like it, it, it that's the thing that you're going to have to struggle with is if you're going to adapt a big project like that. It's best to stick to the source material like Dune where you have all the information you need. In fact, it's got its just like Lord of the Rings, it's got its own appendices, it's got its own, you know, world history definitions, you know, jargon and all that stuff. Um so I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a series at some point, but I do want uh Denny to get to complete his vision with this film. So um now we did this in the in the last little bit. Um actually Leslie was the one who kind of started it the first time we recorded, and then the second time we recorded, <laughs> we're like, Oh yeah, we definitely want to do this. We're gonna show off all of our versions of the, oh, yeah. the Doom book. So <laughs> Uh, Leslie, why don't you lead us off? Because yours is the most uh, uh, magnificent of the bunch. <laughs> okay. You can't see it back there. So this was a special edition copy that came out with some new artwork. It's beautiful. And uh, if you want to yeah, fill yeah. in for people who are just listening on audio. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I, just... I can't, I don't even know if I can describe it well enough for audio <laughs> only listeners. So go check our Oops. YouTube channel out. <laughs> Because uh, it's got, you. yeah, it's got the nice internal uh, internal art, too, on the cover. Yeah, I'm going to take off the dust jacket, and it's got some just beautiful, beautiful artwork, the special edition. And, yeah, the um, pages are blue, or have blue lining on them. Um, there's nothing on the back here. I mean, I'll show you the inside of that one. Got the nice sandworm. But we were talking about the, the litany about fear is the mind yep. killer. It has that on the front, if you can kind of see that embossed so yep. it's beautiful to look at on the shelf even without the dust jacket on it but then the dust jacket art is just so gorgeous i'm going to open up the full thing here and you can tell me if it's all in screen yep. or not it is it is, it is. It is simply gorgeous beautiful i'll leave it on there for a few seconds for everybody who wants to take a look at it this is a gorgeous gorgeous special edition copy that i'm hoping that they go ahead and do you know the rest of them because i would like to see all of them beautifully displayed on my shelf <laughs> with equally gorgeous art um let me open this up here and see i believe this was a random house publishing yeah so this is penguin through random house okay uh, this edition of the book and it was 40 dollars. so if you would also like to have this gorgeous copy of the book i don't know if it's still 40 dollars or not because this came out a couple of years ago when i saw it on instagram i follow them and uh, knew I had to have it, so I went ahead and hurried up and bought it. <laughs> but that is, is my copy of, of Dune. I, again, if any of the booksellers happen to come across this, please go ahead and finish it out and do the other ones <laughs> so I can have all of them on my shelf. <laughs> all right. And, Johnny, your, yours is the the uh, the the uh, the gurney of our of our uh, book group here. Um, so yes. let's let's look let's look at yours. Yours is the 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 war grizzled veteran. So I inherited this set uh, from my parents. This is a box set of the Dune trilogy, which is the first three books that uh, when Frank Gerber was writing Dune, he actually wrote portions of the other two books uh, as well. So this is Dune, um, Dune Messiah, and the Children of Dune. So, um, 
uh, I have read them multiple times, and if you get a good look at my Doom copy, <laughs> it is very well used. And uh, I've also tried to get at least similar artwork for the other six books, so I got those here as well. Here's God Emperor of Dune. Oh, wow. Heretics of Dune. And Chapter House Dune. And right now, my favorite uh, book in the series is Heretics of Dune, uh, followed by, I think, equally uh, Children of Dune and Dune. Uh, I would love to see Dune Messiah and Children of Dune turn into movies. Once they get to God Emperor Dune, it's like, I'm not sure how they could do this without making it look ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would still love to see it. uh, As a Dune fan, I will see it, but um, I would still be very questionable about that. So so what you're saying is that's one basically like the Silmarillion of Dune. Uh, Somewhat. It it isn't like there's a whole lot that's like uh, uh, that's esoteric. It's just Mostly the God Emperor himself. Okay. Uh, uh, if you don't mind me giving away some spoilers, uh, I, I could explain it, but that's also potentially getting down the rabbit hole with me. Uh, <laughs> with, in regards <laughs> well, to uh, let's let's hold it off then, because uh, <laughs> I do I do have the intent. I don't know how far like how how long it's going to take me, but I do have the intent to try to read all of the books. So. Um, and then of You're course, not show us your oh copy. no, no, I'm, 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 I'm grabbing it. I'm grabbing it. Cause mine is the worst looking, uh, copy. <laughs> mine is obviously the, of course my, my light is, uh, kind of glaring off the cover, but mine is the movie version. Um, and quite frankly, only because I thought, no, you know, this is how naive I am when it comes to Dune. I thought I could get it read the week before Dune came out. And then I read the first like three pages and I'm like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm like, this is really heady material. So, um, I probably will get nicer copies at some point. I want to try to track down Leslie's uh, version of it. I was looking on Amazon. And I couldn't quite find the same one. I might have to go to penguin or random houses, actual website to see if I can find it on there. Um, but I, I am trucking away through it. Of course, I'm also reading this and like six other books at the same time. So I'm I'm breaking it up in between because I was stupid and decided I was going to start the Horus Heresy, uh, which if you're a Warhammer 40K fan, you know that's like 50 books long. Um, so, you know, I've, I'm trucking away. I'm only on book 10, but uh, I'm, I'm dividing time right now between those. And I've got a whole bunch of other books. I, I want to start Wheel of Time here before... Um, I'd actually like to read the first book before the that series, uh, before I watch that I tried. series. Huh? I couldn't, couldn't get into it. No. I feel like it's an interesting concept and it'll be fun to watch, but I couldn't make it through the book. Well, and I read, because uh, they, you know, they came out with the series on Netflix, I read the first Shadow of Bone um, book, and I was not overly impressed by that book. Uh, I don't know why it's getting as much critical claim as, as it was, let alone a Netflix series, because it's it's like assuming you're going to know everything and, and it doesn't give any chance to like explain its terminology and, and the, the world building is not really that great in it. Whereas like Dune, that's what you can give Dune a lot of credit for much like Lord of the Rings, like Tolkien and Herbert really built out, really thought through their worlds, how things interact with each other. Um, 
heck, Tolkien created his own Elvish language. So I mean, like that's dedication right there. Let you know, let alone, and then you get six books of Dune with Frank Herbert, and I know his son has continued on with other books, and I don't know how well received they are or not, but uh, it's much like I think uh, Tolkien's kids. Lord of the Rings books are not as well received as, as the, you know, their, their fathers, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very heady material. I do plan on, I'm, I'm making my progress, but it'll probably take me till the end of the year or beginning of next year <laughs> to finally get through that book. But, um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up here. Um, let's, let's end with our scores and we'll do it like we did at the other times. Uh, Johnny lead us off with what score would you give this out of five? Uh, 4.5. Okay, and Leslie? Uh, 4.0. Okay, and I'm also a 4.5. I think uh, we've, we've because I know when we ended, we kind of give explanations for those scores. I think uh, we've thoroughly have given it. our <laughs> reasons for our scoring. So uh, I think that the, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I want to thank Johnny again for joining us. I know he, uh, he definitely, it was like, he messaged me going, I want to be on your Dune episode. <laughs> I'm like, oh, absolutely. Because I've known you for years, and I, I you've talked to me ad nauseum in the past about Dune, and so I knew your passion for Dune. Uh, so I knew you would add a, a lot of interesting perspective to to our review and our, our analysis of the film. Um, so thank you again for coming on. You do have a YouTube channel in the works uh, coming down the road, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you plan on doing. Uh, I'm going to do something with either video games or movies, uh, basically just kind of doing little, uh, history reviews, uh, with, with them. It's not right now. It's not going to be modern ones. It's going to be more like uh, older ones okay. and kind of like their place and, in, in the overall, um, scheme of things. Okay. And, uh, you don't have a, a timeline yet on when you're going to be launching that channel, right? Hopefully in the next few months, okay. but, you know, depend on how much time I actually have available. As uh, as I think any yeah. of our audience has known from the the, the breaks we have taken throughout the <laughs> the months and years and stuff, that yeah, it's really hard uh, to kind of fit this in when you're with your work schedule. So it's always when you're doing your J job, yeah, job, right? Yeah, and, and like that's why it took us this many times to even just get this this finally done was because like I didn't quite have the time to invest in going. Okay, what went wrong? Okay, I can only have I can adjust like thirty minutes to an hour of my day investigating what happened and then try to fix it. And I mean, even when we thought we had it fixed, we recorded a whole another episode and then went right back to it and was like, "Oh no, we have the same problems." So uh, it took me throughout this week just to even figure out what could have been wrong. And then we weren't even completely fixed, but thankfully we did a little test beforehand. And found out what the issue was. So uh, this will be great to finally get up there. And, and quite frankly, I think it was our best uh, best version of what we actually did. I think uh, doing that focused approach really helped us out in this one. So we'll, we will definitely uh, promote your channel when it when it releases. And uh, you know, you'll always be welcome in this kind of critics, not cynics family. You know, one of the goals was to kind of create a network. So uh, you definitely would be welcome into that branch, uh, Leslie. When you get back to your individual uh show uh at some point yeah i'm sure everybody who'd been wondering from the beginning of the year let's just say life a lot of life has happened <laughs> and you know i will let you know when i'm ready to get back on the horse right. <laughs> uh because as i can say as the person who 
you know, primarily goes through the processing and editing process and all that stuff, doing it all on your own and on your own time can be very time consuming and frustrating. So totally <laughs> understand. But, at, at, you know, just like with Johnny's show, you know, we got this little family now kind of started. And uh, so I'm looking forward to more content that we can always end up bringing in the future. I mean, our, our goal uh, not to go too kind of far off here or talk much longer, but our goal is to almost eventually have a show a, a day of the week, essentially, you know, of, of people who have been wanting to put YouTube channels together to talk about specific topics or uh, have ideas with stuff. We kind of wanted to have something like that where you could go on Monday and see Leslie's show or, or our show rather, because we kind of release them on Mondays and then on Tuesday you could go watch Johnny's show and then Wednesdays is Leslie's <laughs> show and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll be able to bring that stuff later down in the road for, for everyone. But as you can see, we've, we have been constantly improving at the detriment of my own bank account. <laughs> we have been <laughs> constantly trying to up the, up the level of the show. So just stick with us. Uh, and I think you'll be really surprised with what we got coming down in the future. So um, also again, just to plug it again, because, uh, I know when this video releases again, I will have gone through and done the live stream. So if you're wondering why the same shirt will be worn, that is why, um, <laughs> definitely if you did not, if you did not get to check it out when we went live, go check out the live stream we did. We were playing man of Medan, uh, the dark pictures anthology for, um, for Halloween season. So definitely go check it out. And, you know, it should be about a two hour live stream, maybe a little bit longer if I, if I didn't feel too tired doing it. Um, and as always, you know, like comment, subscribe to the podcast, uh, on YouTube or on any of the audio versions of Podbean, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google play, you know, basically just about any other podcasting service you can find. Uh, if you don't want to write leave us a comment, you can write into the podcast at critics, at gmail.com. If you've watched Dune and you have uh, differing thoughts or you have uh, stronger criticisms than what we had, uh, we would love to read them on air and talk about them. So uh, and that, you know, would be one we would invite Johnny to come back for as well. So, you know, he can tell you why you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we always we would always look forward to hear from our audience. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this one. Thank you guys both for joining us on our third attempt <laughs> to get this review out. Uh, so we will talk to everyone next time.